You're tuned in to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We are currently on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. I am Oni Lentinzi to give you the updates on your latest news. And looking at your headlines this morning. Chad bans the full-face Muslim veil, ordering security forces to seize bakers from markets and burn them. Security forces prevent an attempted suicide attack by Islamist militants on a political conference in central Somalia today. And a lawyer representing the victims of atrocities committed in Defer says South Africa's ANC government is a lawless regime following the flight of Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir. Worth your latest news, a very good morning. Chad has banned the full face of Muslim veil, ordering security forces to seize bakers from markets and burn them. This after 33 people were killed in suicide bombings blamed on Nigerian Islamist group Boko Haram this week. In a speech to religious leaders the day before the start of the Holy Muslim Festival of Ramadan, Prime Minister Kalzaibe Pahimi Dubet says any type of clothing that leaves only the eyes visible is a form of camouflage and is now banned. Anyone found wearing a baker will now be arrested, tried and sentenced in summary proceedings. Security forces have foiled an attempted suicide attack by Islamist militants on a political conference in central Somalia today. The force killed three gunmen and the driver of a car packed with explosives. Al-Shabaab militants who frequently attack officials, politicians and lawmakers in its bid to topple the Western-backed government in Mogadishu has claimed responsibility. Local leader Hussein Farah says there was a brief fight but the gunmen were killed before entering the hall where a meeting for a new central region administration was being held. A lawyer representing the victims of atrocities committed in Defer believes the flight of President Omar al-Bashir from South Africa suggests the African National Congress government is a lawless regime that is corrupt in the deepest and most profound way. Raymond Brown is part of the International Justice Project representing 11 victims recognized by the International Criminal Court in proceedings related to crimes in Defer. Brown is accusing South Africa of rejecting a fundamental principle of constitutional democracy that provides limits on what a government can and cannot do. Shawan Bryce Peace has more. The attorney for Darfuri victims had tough words for the South African government, who stands accused of letting President Bashir slip away out of their grasp. It suggests it's a lawless regime. It suggests it's a regime that is corrupt in the deepest and most profound way. Not necessarily about money, though um, that may be the case, but about a disregard for the fundamental principle that democracy has to be hedged by a constitutional regime which provides limits on what government can do. And they have defied the limits of their own regime, which leads the reasonable observer to say it isn't so much for them to defy an international regime of which they're 
South Sudan's former Vice President Riek Machar has called for President Salvo Akir to resign next month when his term comes to an end. Machar has been in the bush since 2013 when violence erupted. Kir has accused Machar of planning a coup, a charge Machar has denied. His call comes as the African Union heads of state summit decided on a new peace process that will include all the continent's regional blocs. Machar elaborates. His term comes to end by the 9th, actually the midnight uh, of July 2015. His time is up. He won't be anymore uh, an elected president. He cannot be described like that. He is not anymore uh, a constitutional president. His time is up. He has deprived the people of South Sudan to go to exercise their will in elections. What he should do now so that peace comes is resign by midnight is July 2015. And finally, the commander of the United Nations peacekeeping mission in Mali says his force is not geared to operate in an environment where troops face attacks from hostile jihadist groups and others. Danish Major General Michael Lodesgaard is one of three UN commanders who addressed the Security Council yesterday as the UN reviewed the operation of its 16 peacekeeping operations where over 125,000 troops and civilians are deployed. Extremists hijacked the offensive prompting a French-led military intervention in 2013. The military pushed the extremists from a ma- major cities and towns in the north, but the country has grown increasingly unstable and the UN troops are struggling to maintain peace. Now recapping on your top stories, Chad bans the full-face Muslim veil, ordering security forces to seize bakers from markets and ban them. Security forces prevent an attempted suicide attack by Islamist militants on a political conference in central Somalia today. And a lawyer representing the victims of atrocities committed in Dufour says South Africa's ANC government is a lawless regime following the flight of Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir. Channel Africa News. African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of, one, the rights to privacy, of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, your gateway and the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. You're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Thank you for joining us. If you're listening to us on DSTV, you're listening to us on the channel 902. Thank you as well for streaming us live on www dot channelafrica dot co dot za 
and maybe you're questioning today hey there's a lot of noise in the background there's a lot of movements wherever you are Benjamin well it's because today we are broadcasting from the Emperor's Palace which is uh, just outside Joburg right next to the OR Tambo International Airport and uh, we're right here at the Vision 2030 Summit and uh, delegations are taking place and uh, we're here to really unpack the National Development Plan from public and private perspectives. The summit started it yesterday and it will be ending today and there's various stakeholders to really look at South Africa's National Development Plan and uh, it is endorsed by the National Planning Commission and uh, really the various partners are here Topco Media, Praza, Productivity SA. Actually yesterday we heard from South Africa's Minister in the Presidency uh, Jeff Khatebe. He was highlighting the importance of the National Development Plan and how it should be incorporated within the African Union's uh, 2063 agenda. So uh, while we're waiting for the rest of our guests, uh, we're going to go back into the studio and we'll shortly come back and really deal with the issues of today. Well, uh, let's just take a quick break. Uh, we're going to be going back to our Johannesburg studios. I hope they, they can hear me. And uh, just for a quick break. Get to know Channel Africa and all the people who bring news, views, and great African entertainment. You can now catch Channel Africa on DSTV Audio Bouquet, Channel 902. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. I'm Benjamin Mushatama. As I mentioned in the introduction of today's program, is today we're at Vision 2030 Summit, really focusing on South Africa's national development plan from a public and private perspective where government and uh, private sector stakeholders that are here at the summit really to look at the National Development Plan. And if you don't know what the National Development Plan, it was established uh, just um, uh, recently uh, in the new dispensation, rather the new governance of South Africa. And uh, it really aims to create a space where South Africa Africa has an effective um, economic plan, uh, a plan that has to do with infrastructure, development sector, also to look at health, education, and just the 
various parts of the economy of South Africa. Now, joining us is um, uh, Kandani Msibi, who is the director of Sichaba Medical Solutions. And he was speaking yesterday, moderating the topic yesterday, looking at improved access to quality health care by low-income earners. Now, before we start into the issues that you highlighted yesterday, Mr. Msibi, can you just uh, let us know how does health fit in into South Africa's national development plan? Okay, thank you very much, and um, good morning to, to all the listeners. Um, one of the, the objectives of the National Dev- Development Plan it's, it's echoing on my ears. Well, it's meant it's going to echo. The so. development plan um, is to ensure that uh, there's a quality, decent we, quality of life for all South Africans by 2030. Um, and in the definition of what quality of life is, there were nine elements that were identified, and one of the elements there is a um, um, quality health care. Mm. Right? And the the crisis that we have in South Africa is that of a um, the public health system that is not functional, mm. that is not delivering the 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 kind of the quality of health care that will make people actually get um, uh, um, good quality health care in public service mm. relative to the private sector. That you have a situation whereby the private sector is providing much better quality health care, okay. but at an extremely high cost, right? Mm. Which then excludes the majority of the people who are not uh, in, a, in a medical aid and, and are unable to pay for themselves. Mm. And the situation that you have is that um, a significant part of the uh, population does not have access to a, 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 a good quality health care. Mm. And the debate yesterday was how do we um, ensure that uh, low-income earners uh, can actually get uh, quality health care. And, and there's a number of uh, views that were raised by, by the participants. I mean, uh, the, the whole question of uh, making the state to be capable to be able to deliver health care mm. was uh, central to the debate. Right? Mm. But the, the, the problem that you sit with is that it will take us years mm. to fix the public health care. Right? And what do we do in the meantime? Right? And, and, and most of the discussions were tending towards saying that we need the, the, the kind of uh, medical aid products mm that are affordable, that uh, the low-income earners can actually be able to pay for themselves. Mm. Right? Now, you, you, you're then also sitting with a, a, a contradictory subject, given the reality of the South African healthcare system, mm. that uh, uh, low-income in the current dispensation, right? um, uh, low-income earners can only get access to lower quality of care right mm. and we want to uh, come up with a a, a a solution to ensure that uh, the low-income earners can actually get access to to good quality of care mm. and in the absence of a rapid um turnaround of uh, the public health system right you have no option but to look at a system whereby low-income earners can pay to become members of medical aid right mm. but the the current medical aid uh, prices are such that in some cases are higher than the income of a low income earners yeah, yeah. and therefore there's a need for a system whereby the low income earners can pay for themselves and get 
a better quality of health care. Well, looking at the international trend of what's happening, I mean, we know that in the United States there's been this huge, big debate about a national health insurance plan for uh, poor populations of the country, but there seems to be a lot of resistance in that. Could we as South Africa think about that kind of a plan, a national insurance plan for poor people, unemployed people, young people who are not in the uh, job sector? Could we actually advance our um, conversations beyond insurance plans for the working population? The South African environment uh, has a specific challenges mm. which um, are, are unique uh, and, and are not necessarily what the Americans have as, mm. as a challenges. For instance, I've mentioned the question of uh, the, the healthcare delivery. Uh, of the public sector, because mm. where we are, you 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 only find the healthcare delivery that is acceptable in the private sector, mm. but it is too expensive, right? So even if you are to have a national health insurance product, right, for as long as um, the 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 delivery of the healthcare is dependent upon the private sector mm. in its current form, right, uh, it will result in a the national health insurance been bankrupted right mm, mm. by the providers as, as it is with the medical aids today you know that the many medical aids are actually not coping right with the payment of the fees charged by uh, private health care providers mm. and and where, where we were beginning to 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 go towards is to say whilst we cannot solve the uh, public health care situation today right mm. we have to at least enable the low-income earners to get some form of um, primary health care, which then says that there should be products that are primary health care based that at least give the low-income earners access to the kind of health that um, uh, will ensure that um, they live um, quality lives. You'd also note that um, uh, many of uh, the services that we aspire for mm. from um, the, the private health care environment right, are, are, are tertiary services, but they are as a result of a lack of good primary health care or access to good primary health care. Mm. Uh, you, you look at uh, the number of um, 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 chronic cases and, and the type of diseases that are beginning to become prevalent, mm. like uh, hypertension, right? Mm. You, you only need tertiary medication because you did not manage or tertiary treatment because you did not manage the hypertension, right? Mm. But uh, you can manage hypertension cost-effectively cost through a, a primary health care. And, and that's what we're arguing, that uh, if, if we don't come up with a product for low-income earners, we're going to delay the ability of the state to turn around uh, public health care in that we will, we will fail to alleviate the, the burden on the state. Right? Because mm. the state as it is now has to take care of uh, low-income earners and it has to take care of uh, no-income earners. But then well, if you're able to take away the low-income earners from from a bigger burden on the state, you're at least creating some space you know, for, 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 for the uh, public health system to sort itself out. Well, we, we're going to continue with this conversation because it's very complex mm. because um, of the large need that you need in, within the healthcare. And do we have enough capacity in our 
public health care sector to actually fulfill that need. But you are listening to Channel Africa. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. With us, we have um, Mr. Kandan Msibi, who is the director of Sichaba Medical Solutions. And uh, joining us now after this break, we'll also have Graham Block, the education specialist that will uh, join us to look at the education issues. We're looking at some of the challenging areas, and uh, we're right here at Vision 2030 Summit, uh, unpacking the National Development Plan. Already you can hear that we do have some challenges in the country of South Africa in some aspects of development. But uh, Vision 2030 Summit is looking at unpacking the National Development Plan from uh, the private sector and also looking at it through public institutions. Let's take a quick break and then we'll get back and continue this conversation. would like to get to know you, our listener. So we are asking you to tell us the country you're in and how you listen to the station. Is it via shortwave, internet or satellite? And what do you enjoy listening to? You can SMS us at plus two seven eight two double three two five nine zero five, or email us. It's at info at channelafrica.org. You can also tell us via Facebook or tweet us on the handle at Channel Africa Numerical 1. Or write to us at the address P.O. Box 91313 Auckland Park, Johannesburg, 2006 Republic of South Africa. We look forward to hearing from you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, uh, thank you for joining us. We're right here at the Empress Palace. Uh, we're attending the Vision 2030 Summit, looking at uh, the National Development Plan. Now, joining us in this uh, part of our program is Graham Block, who is the education analyst uh, from the Witwatersrand University at the Governance Department. Uh, Graham Block, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure. Now... This is very interesting, looking at the National Development Plan. There's a projection into 2030, a long-term kind of approach this time around in terms of uh, the plans that we've had uh, previously to this one. What is your view with the National Development Plan in terms of education? Well, I'm going to say in my speech that... um, the NDP is good. And, and, and why do you think it's good? I think the focus on early childhood development helps. And the focus on tertiary and also the um, multiple inequalities that are faced in education. Mm, mm. Okay. And and also, we are having challenges in the education front, Mr. Block, in terms of infrastructure, in terms of development in the education system, um, especially in rural areas. Um, How do we work to better that system? Well, I I agree with you. Mm. I think mostly we're not 
getting it. Hmm. And we neither passing kids nor teaching them to read or count. And I think it takes a racial form hmm. right through. So the solutions are to focus on early childhood development hmm. yeah. and to focus on tertiary. I heard a very good solution, mm. which was many um, graduates should spend some time in the, the schools. Mm. Well, coming back to you, Mr. Msebi, uh, 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 I'm also looking at this issue of what's happening in rural areas as we're highlighting in terms of education. It's not just education, but it's also access to health that's sometimes in a challenge. How do we deal with those dynamics there, especially when it comes to insurance and solutions type of uh, okay. kind of approach? I, 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 think, I think part of the crisis that we have right, is, is that we've had destroyed uh, traditional ways of living right? uh, because healthcare is not new you know mm. with uh, it's not did not arrive with the uh, western norms right? mm. there's always been a healthcare uh, delivery in the rural areas and, and in traditional areas and and part of what we need to understand right is that uh, the majority of the ailments that we are dealing with in cities right are lifestyle related and the people in the rural areas don't live those kinds of lives right mm. and the challenges that they have are unique they're, they're, they're about malaria and, and there's been a focus to ensure that uh, we, we deal with malaria right and and other diseases like deep TB and so forth right mm. we we need to be careful not to transplant what we do in the cities, in the rural areas. Uh, we need to understand the systems of healthcare that exist, right, and augment them as opposed to uh, changing them. Mm. And, and How the, so? The, the, I think, I think the, the, the current program of the state of uh, getting uh, newly qualified doctors to... To, to go to rural areas is, uh, is laudable, right, mm. but... It, 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 it has the unintended consequences that uh, you never have experienced doctors who are going to sit, sit there, study the ways of lives, mm. and integrate with uh, how communities have always lived. Right? Mm. For instance, um, a, a, a lot of diseases like um, um, uh, uh, diabetes right, are also lifestyle related right and and instead of uh, trying to bombard rural areas with with uh, drugs and chemicals right mm. find synergies with the manner in which people are living for instance people in the rural areas walk much longer distances right mm, which, which means that they are not as predisposed to the difficulties that city people are are disposed to in as far as healthcare is concerned because they're much more fitter right so so when you engage with them right mm. you engage with them in, in a different format than when you engage in a, in a cities. But if, if we were to try to replicate the city life or the city healthcare approach in rural areas, we're going to miss a great opportunity 
to do something great cost-effectively. Mr. Plock, before I let you go, in terms of that issue, what um, Mr. Msibi is highlighting is very important because uh, rural areas are very different to uh, metropolitan areas or the cities. In terms of education, do you think also we should have a, a different approach towards the different areas? I think that rural has got to be a little different. Mm-hmm. But I think that um, you've got to be the best and you've got to compete with the cities. Yeah, yeah. So also not to actually treat education too differently because it has to be competitive in its nature. But we're going to take one more break and we'll be joined by Nungulelo Sindane, who is the Director General of the Justice and Constitutional Department. She's going to talk to us about the NDP as regards to justice and constitutional issues. Now we're going to wrap that conversation up after that. The time right now is 11.28 Central African time. We'll come back to you. Let's take a quick break. One. Get to know Channel Africa and all the people who bring news, views, and great African entertainment. Bonjour à tous. Merci encore une fois d'être sur Channel Africa. You can now catch Channel Africa on DSTV Audio Bouquet, Channel 902. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Thank you for listening us. If you're listening to us on our DSTV channel, it's on Channel 902. And today we're broadcasting from uh, not so far away from the Oratambo Airport. We're broadcasting at the Empress Palace, uh, just next to Kempton Park in Johannesburg. And uh, we're attending the Vision 2030 Summit, which is unpacking the National Development Plan. And there's various stakeholders. As you can hear, we've been speaking to various people, looking at the National Development Plan, which is really a national plan to look at infrastructure development, to look at socio-economic issues, how do we deal with them, how do we deal with eradicating poverty in our various sectors. We're speaking to Mr. Msibi right now, looking at the health sector. But right now we've got Nongulego uh, Sindanu, uh, the Director General of the Justice and Constitutional Department. Thank you for joining us, Nongulego. Thank you very much. Now, the National Development Plan, does it also have an aspect when it comes to justice and the constitutional matters? Absolutely. The National Development Plan covers the Department of Justice in many aspects, but I'll focus on just two. Okay. Firstly, I'll focus on the issue of ensuring that people in South Africa are safe, they move freely, children are able to play and feel safe, as well as people are able to go on with their daily lives safely. That is the first aspect. The second aspect is ensuring that we build an inclusive citizenry that is based on the human rights as, pre- as predicated by the Constitution of the Republic. Mm. And in terms, you were speaking about citizenry, but also mm. we know there's been an international 
focus on South Africa after what they call xenophobic attacks, well, what the media refers to as xenophobia attacks. In terms of the National Development Plan, looking at the country and the influx of um, immigrants, migrants, refugees that are coming into the country, does it actually include that aspect in protecting people coming outside of the country? Absolutely. Please remember that our responsibility is to protect everybody in South Africa regardless of their origin. Therefore, we have a program. The department is working on the National Action Plan Against Racism, Xenophobia and other related intolerances Mm. to address specifically those issues of, of which is which are determined by hate, driven by hate Mm. of those that are different to us or of those who have different origins to ours. Mm. So one of the things that we are doing is to popularize the National Development Plan as well as the Constitution throughout the country. Mm. We work with the Foundation for Human Rights to do just that. Mm. That is the one aspect. The second aspect is we look at other people who have different lifestyles to ours and different orientations to ours who are also protected by the constitution. And what we do there is we have a fully-fledged program to protect the LGBTI community Mm -hmm. who also suffer intolerances just like people with foreign origins. Mm -hmm. And you will know that in the past three to five years, people suffered a lot of casualties. People died. Mm -hmm. They were killed because of their sexual orientation. This program is is amongst others intended to ensure that we eliminate that from our society. Remember that all people in South Africa by 2030 should be able to move free regardless of their origins. Mm. And also another interesting issue was what Mr. CB was highlighting earlier when it comes to uh, health was the issue of access, access to insurance, access to quality health services. The courts and the justice system are also questionable in terms of being accessible to the poor. What is our country doing to actually create services for poor people to access justice easier and more equitably for them? There are a number of interventions. Let me talk about the transformation of the legal system as well as the legal profession. Mm. One of the key aspects is that for a an average South African to approach a court, it's very expensive because of the fees that are paid to professionals. Mm. So one of the things that government has done, one, is that we pay Legal Aid South Africa about 2 billion rand Mm. to assist those people who cannot afford to uh, access court services. However, that is only primarily for criminal matters, not for civil matters. And generally, the civil matters are dealt with by private attorneys and or through a small claims program. We have a very vibrant small claims program only up to a certain amount and I think it's 15,000 rand if I have a claim against you. It's not necessarily designed for the poor but it assists the poor the most. Mm. Secondly, in addition, we part of the Legal Practice Act is to ensure that legal services are provided to, to the people on a pro bono basis, in other words, for free, 
at least for certain numbers of hours per annum by legal firms that are playing in that space. And by doing that, we are trying to ensure that people are able to be given access. But throughout the year, we have interventions in partnerships with, for instance, the SAULA, which is the South African Women Lawyers Association, and we partner with them at least once a year. We provide these free services uh, throughout the country to ensure that every person is able to, for instance, have a will and be guided if they want to get married and those types of issues which generally are not accessible to rural areas because, as you know, those services uh, have not been designed to be accessible in those areas and we are pushing them in that direction and that is what we want to have by, by... 2030, those services should be available. So we offer master's services in rural areas as well, and we offer maintenance services in rural areas, and we are visible in in rural areas. And I must take full responsibility that we are not communicating what we are doing as much as we should. Well, also, I just want to take this conversation to a different dynamic. Um, Coming back to you, Mr. Kandanim Sibi of uh, Sichaba Medical Solutions, is to look at the National Development Plan. Is there enough done to bridge the ideas of the government and translate them to the private sector? Is enough being done in that area? I think in the context of health, right, um, it's almost like uh, you have um, three parties, right, which is the state, the people, and the healthcare providers, right? Mm. Whereas the state wants to ensure that um, the people get a quality healthcare cost effectively, the private sector sees profiteering, right? Mm. And and the, the objectives have not been aligned, right? Because for as long as um, the private sector is going to maximize benefits or profitability out of healthcare, right? It's almost like the, the state is chasing an objective it will never catch because the, the very sector that is supposed to work with you is actually ripping long before the, the healthcare outputs are realized. Right? But what you see is that uh, the healthcare service providers are becoming more and more profitable, much and much bigger, but the healthcare delivery in terms of quality is not there. So, so we, we have a situation whereby there's no alignment and there's a need for the, the, the people themselves, right? If you, if you look at uh, many people who are on medical aid, they never attend AGMs, right? They never take control of, uh, of medical aid so that in alignment with the state, right, they can look after their own interest. So there's a, it's almost like a need for the state to engage more with civil society and create more enabling legislation within healthcare for civil society to play a much stronger role than the role played played by the private sector. Mm. And, and if we can achieve that, the, the expenditure of health care will be stretched so that more people can benefit from the current budget. But the situation now is that uh, the, the budget will continue to increase, but the objective will be further and further from being achieved. Mm. And, and because that's what happens most of the time. We create policy, we create programs, and then there seems to be um, a bridge and a gap between who benefits from those policies and 
in the makeup of South Africans um, structure. It seems like capital seems to be getting out out of justice, out of medicine, out of business. It seems like things become more and more privatized the more government plans we have. And how can we turn that around? Because we need ordinary people on the ground to get access to all these facilities that we're talking about here at the summit, for instance. Whilst I may not have an absolute answer to (laughs) that, let me give you what my thoughts are. One of the key issues that we have been discussing all along is skills. The skills to be able to negotiate. I don't think we are doing enough to invest in that. Mm. We, we as the department uh, spend a lot of money in the services that we are providing. We do see value, but I would agree with him that we could see even better value if we were managing our contracts correctly and managing our outputs correctly. So there is a a bridging work that must happen between policy articulation as well as policy implementation. And by the way, it is quite good that business has come to the party to assist government to do certain things because we do not have all the skills to do all the deliverables that we are expected to do Mm. but there is indeed a need for us to manage our own businesses correctly and manage government's expectations correctly by placing in our procurement environment supply chain environment Mm. properly skilled negotiators contract managers and delivery managers to be able to turn this thing around. I can tell you as I sit here that most of the departments, if not all departments, struggle in that area. And it's an area that we need to create a niche and be able to attract the right people in those spaces. And also the monitoring mechanisms in terms of what we're doing in terms of monitoring the development and the efficiency of the National Development Plan. As, as we wrap it up, Mr. CB, um, what are your views? Are we doing enough to actually assess, evaluate, maybe redevelop the areas where we weren't working well in terms of these various plans that we have nationally? I, I think the, the, there's a lot that is taking place, right? But uh, there is not sufficient of civil society involvement. Um, you, you don't see programs driven by trade unions. You don't see programs driven by churches. It's almost like um, society is waiting for this thing to land. Right? Yeah, yeah. And the reality of, uh, of our situation is that uh, 2013, 2030 is only 15 years away. Right? Yeah. And we, in, in, in the area of health, that's not enough time to, to really... Th- think that at that time you'll have a quality of health for everybody in the country. Yeah. I, I can tell you now it's not going to happen. But what, what we need is a situation whereby we, we create products that will bring the, the low-income earners mm. into uh, healthcare mm. um, and then ensure that the civil society participates in assisting the state in the control of those resources, right? Because there's significant resources in, a, in medical aid. I mean, the contributions are in the range of 120 billion rands per annum, right? But it's largely private sector controlled, right? Mm-hmm. The, the participation of members who 
are not in it for, for profit, but to ensure that they bring down their own costs is very low. You, you also have medical aids where there, there could be 100,000 members in the medical aid, but the quorum in the AGM can be reached with 20 people, right? Mm-hmm. which reflects the extent to which society is not participating. Mm-hmm. The, the state can never deliver all of these things on its own. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to happen. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, the people on the ground need to stand up, take responsibility for their own resources and create enablement for others to come into the system. And let's wrap it up with you, Nukule Sindan, in terms of looking at translating what uh, Mr. Msibi is saying, translating the message of the national development to churches, to civil society, to NGOs, to me as a young person, how do we translate that message to be accessible to the ordinary person? There are many ways of doing that, but one of the most critical ways is to ensure that we work with civil society. For instance, there are a lot of civil society organizations that we are already working with in terms of driving this agenda of of Vision 2030. However, they are not enough. Our our work program is too big just for the few uh, civil society organizations that we are dealing with. It's not enough but it's, it's a start. Uh, one thing that I think is important is to align correctly. Okay. And I think for the next five years, we will be grappling with just alignment, mm-hmm. aligning the message with what is happening on the ground, getting feedback and ensuring that we correct where we need to correct and we improve where we need to improve. Thank you very much. Well, that's how we wrap it up. Thank you to uh, Kandanim Sibe, the director of Sitch- medical solutions he was looking at the issue yesterday of improved access to quality health care by low-income earners and he highlighted some of his concerns there thank you as well to the director general of justice and constitutional department and that is Nokulelego uh, Sindani thank you both for joining thank us you. on the program thank you. thank you well that's how we wrap it up back to the studio for our economics update and then we'll get our sports from us here all the way at the Empress Palace right in Kempton Park. Until tomorrow, God bless. I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees, the flowers, the seas, and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land. My body has frozen in our frosts and in our latter-day snows. It has thawed in the warmth of our sunshine and melted in the heat of the midday sun. The crack and the rumble of the summer thunders, lashed by startling lightning, have been a cause both of trembling and of hope. The fragrances of nature have been as pleasant to us as the sight of the wild blooms of the citizens of the felt. The dramatic shapes of the dragon's back, the soil-colored waters of the Likwa, Ikreili, Lotugel, and the sands of the Kalahati have all been panels of the set on the natural stage on which we act out the foolish deeds of the theater of the day. At times, and in fear, I have wondered whether I should concede equal citizenship of our country to the leopard and the lion, the elephant and the springbok, the hyena, the black mamba, and the pestilential mosquito. 
a human presence among all of these, a feature on the face of our native land just defined, I know that none dare challenge me when I say I am an African. With an economic update, my name is Tabiso Lohoko. The Bapoba Mokhale community near Brits in, North, in South Africa's northwest province and platinum producer Lonman have reached an agreement after nearly a week of violent protests in the area. Under the agreement, community will benefit from the mine's $12 million development fund. The mine will also train 500 people. They will earn around $403 a month. Bapoba Mokhale Investment Company CEO Lonolo Ntondo. We are happy for, for the current agreement, however it is imperative for us to note that um, it is regrettable of the unintended consequences of the unrest, but we hope that as leadership uh, going forward will work together to accelerate implementation of agreements that will lead to fast implementation of um, you know, disagreements uh, for job creation and other socio-economic um, improvements. South Africa's Finance Minister Tantanene says the few years will be difficult, uh, rather the next few years will be difficult for emerging economies to attract investment. He was speaking at the Third Commonwealth Stakeholders Conference in Johannesburg. Nene says developing countries like South Africa will show good governance and stable fiscal framework to attract investment. The finance minister delivered opening address at the event at which 35 Commonwealth countries are represented. An expansionary fiscal stance supported the economy since the financial crisis in 2008, but this countercyclical approach has reached its limits. Our fiscal stance is underpinned by three principles of countercyclicality, intergenerational equity, and long-term debt sustainability. In line with this, government has committed itself to reducing the budget deficit and and stabilizing debt despite weaker growth and domestic growth by reducing government spending and increasing revenue. The insurance industry can be central in building a more resilient, climate-smart economy. United Nations Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon was speaking at a meeting of the Global Insurance Forum, which is gathering hundreds of insurance executives, regulatory authorities and academics. Ban says the insurance industry can play an important role, especially in helping to ease the financial burden associated with disasters. The insurance sector is well placed to be a leader in risk-sensitive investment. As a major source of investment, much of it long-term, the insurance sector can and must play a strong role in shaping a more sustainable future for all of us. The Communications Workers' Union in South Africa has vowed to fight retrenchments by the country's biggest landline operator. Now, Telcom has threatened to retrench more than 4,000 workers. The union has called on government to urgently intervene, saying the retrenchments contradict the state's plan to create jobs. Namibia's central bank has lifted its benchmark lending rate by 25 basis points to 6.5%, saying it wants to contain high growth in household credit. The bank says it expects the rate change to encourage deposit-taking institutions to increase their lending rates by the same margin. 
The South African Rand is trading at 1238 to the US dollar, 983 Botswana Pula, 736 in Zambia, 64 British pound, 89 euro, gold 1179 dollars, platinum 1073 dollars an ounce, brand crude oil 63 dollars, 75 cents a barrel. That's an economic update here in Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. South African Afro Soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, celebrating 20 years of South African freedom and democracy. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Let's talk about it. Hi, I'm Joe Mangria. And I'm Tabisa Jala. Join us every Thursday at 9 a.m. Central African Time. Let's, Let's talk, talk about, about it. A program on AIDS and other social issues. A program that will encourage a positive lifestyle to young people affected and infected. Let's, Let's talk, talk about, about it. Every Thursday at 9 a.m. Central African Time on Channel Africa. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Thanks for joining us in your sports update. Let's start with Netball. Netball South Africa has officially announced World Cup winning coach Norma Plummer as the new head coach of the Spa Proteus. Plummer is no stranger to South Africa and she says that when she was approached by South Africa, she just couldn't refuse their offer. Well, firstly, I'd like to say I did get a bit of a shock when I got the phone call. Um, 
sitting home having a wine on the table, watching the telly, watching a bit of the ANZ, and uh, all of a sudden um, I did get a phone call to ask if I would consider it. And I'm delighted to say that um, the approach had came because uh, you have so much talent and the girls are so hungry for success um, that I'm delighted to be given the opportunity to try and show the way. It's going to be a big ask. I'm only into day five. You have the Australian coach who's had five years. Uh, even Malawi coach has had three years, so we're, we're improved even over a couple of days. But um, we won't get ahead of ourselves. There's an awful lot of work to do. Netball South Africa President Mimim Tetwa says that they are thrilled to have the Australian on board. So I can safely say now uh, Norma Plama is our spa protea coach and she is going to be the head coach uh, taking the team to the World Cup and we are very pleased to welcome her as uh, one of the, you know, really, really uh, valuable people in netball with a lot of experience. Swiss banks have noted 53 possible money laundering incidents in the investigation of FIFA's 2018 and 2022 World Cup bidding contests. That's according to the country's Attorney General Michael Loba. Loba says that the suspicious bank relations are reported within the framework of Switzerland's anti-money laundering regulations. He says it does not exclude interviewing FIFA President Seplata and Secretary General Jerome Falke in the future. We have an open investigation against unknown, meaning This is a dynamic process, so it could really go everywhere, and that's why I don't want to tell you in which direction perhaps I put my focus in my investigations, but I just can tell you I work on it, and as soon as I can tell you something, I will, because I understand what is your interest. But do understand where is my interest to the Constitution and the laws in Switzerland. Wheelchair Tennis South Africa, WTSA, has confirmed that the two international wheelchair tennis tournaments will be held in Pretoria and Soweto this season. Both are International Tennis Federation, the ITF Future Level events, forming part of the Uniqlo Wheelchair Tennis Tour. The airport company South Africa Pretoria Open will be played from the 28th of June until the 1st of July at the Rashendale Tennis Club in Pretoria. WTSA General Manager Karen Losh explains. We're very excited about it. Um, wheelchair Tennis South Africa hosts six international events every year. Um, two we've just run in April, and these are the, the next series of two events. Um, the one, as you said, is in Pretoria, the airport's company South Africa Pretoria Open, followed very closely by the airport's company South Africa Soweto Open. And finally, globe-trotting athletes from the Southern Africa region have taken a short break after a busy schedule with the IWAF Diamond League as well as the World Challenge Series. Geshomnyati reports. Six countries, Lesotho, Zambia, Mauritius, Mozambique, South Africa and Botswana, kept their athletes on the trot from country to country. Some of the athletes who travelled for international competitions were Mosito Lehata, a sprinter from Lesotho, Paco Seribe, Nigel Amos, Isaac Makwala, all from Botswana, Zambians Titus Kafunda, Sidney Siame, and Kapange Mupopopo. South Africa had the biggest number of athletes on tour, and they included Anaso Jobodwana, Akani Simbine, LJ Fansal, and Wade Vanikek. The brief recovery period comes after the halfway stage of the Diamond League series. Competition of the series kicks off again in Paris in France and Lausanne in Switzerland early next month. And thereafter, all roads lead to Beijing in China in August 
for the World Championships, the biggest of all competitions this year. Geshom Nyati, Channel Africa Sports, London. And that's the end of our sport. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.